All right, uh, pumped to be here. I think, stuff to say, I think it's pretty, pretty clear that I'm not going to be able to live up to that introduction. So, okay, so just like, let's just bring our expectations right here, okay? Uh, I'm a very sinful, normal dude who, who's into church planning, um, is, is, is the way I'll describe myself. But that being said, um, we love the work God's done through our original church in Uptown, and seeing you guys makes me so, so, so happy. Uh, to know that God's continuing the work that he um, is doing. Uh, and, and yeah, just so cool. And to be in a new place, new context. Um, we're in San Diego. We're in kind of the urban core in San Diego. And it's just such a different culture. Like, it's just, it's just so cool to see different expressions. Like, we want, we have the same values, but it looks so different. You know, uh, when, uh, what's the guy's name? Harrison? Is that you? The guy was up here to the announcement. Paul, dude. When Paul was up here talking about axe throwing, I was like, dude, I've never felt less masculine in my life. Dude, you got fishing. Acts, I was like, dude, that's a men's ministry right there. That's a serious men's ministry. Um, but it's cool. Like, we're in a different context, different space. space it, honestly, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, that being said, uh, for those of you who are new today, uh, again, pumped you're here. Um, if you are new, just a quick thing. Man, this is a newer church. This is a baby church. Church is like six months old. And you can tell, maybe you've been to churches that are bigger, more established, whatever. But, but, but anyway, go, man, it's kind of a small church. It seems kind of random. It's at a middle school. It's, it's you know, um, but, but, but it's, uh, it's a really precious time in the life of the church. It's actually, think about a six-month-old baby, how important the development of that person is, a little person, who they're going to become um, early on. Um, a, a lot's determined early on with how um, they are cared for and loved and all that stuff. And in the same way, this church is in a very important developmental stage. Uh, I have a, a mentor of mine, and he says that people kind of always ask him, you know, like, what's the future of the church in America, the future of the church in the West, the future of the church wherever? And he says it's always an easy answer. Um, it's, it's never mystical. It's just what are the leaders like right now? Because um, people are going to go over there going. And so you guys, in helping start this church, if you're a member here or uh, you were, you were uh, on the initial team or you've sensed that, hey, I want to help see this church get established, um, you're helping determine what type of church this is going to be five, ten years from now. Like the cultures that are established in the next year, it's a privilege to be here during this developmental time. But that's a scary thing. It should be sobering too. Because the way you do things now often becomes the way. So it's cool. Like you guys give away over $15,000 to something that doesn't benefit you. Like directly. When I was in Uptown, I was, I was, I was just blown away by the big number across the family of churches. And I was realizing, man, we're sending all this money to Northern Africa and we're not going to get it. You guys can check the book, see the bank account. It's not going to us. It really isn't. It's, it's going. And I was just thinking, so many pastors can't raise money for, for like a church building that the people themselves are going to sit in. And we're sending away this money so that people in Northern Africa will come to know the radical grace of Jesus just for that reason. We've been giving something we don't deserve. And we're giving something away that we don't deserve. And, and, and it's so, so, so beautiful. So, so again, there's a, there's a culture developing of generosity that's so cool. Um, uh, but, but, but again, what other cultures do we want to establish? And so, uh, again, we want to, we want our cultures to be, to, to, to look like the scriptures. Okay. So again, as you guys have been here, you guys have seen baptisms. You guys have, some of you guys have understood grace for the first time. And some of you guys got saved here and you've been baptized. But some of you guys, um, you've been in church, like you'd say for a long time, maybe your whole life, but you never understood, like felt the grace and love of Jesus. It kind of moved from your head to your heart where reading about God's love wasn't just an intellectual exercise. It was a relationship you entered into through what Jesus did for you, not what you could do for him. So you guys have experienced miraculous answers to prayer in the last year. Some of you have learned how to listen to the Holy Spirit in the last year. Which is so, it's trippy but exciting. Some of you guys have watched Jesus grow a group of 10 in Tom and Ebb's living room to over around 90 people over here kind of these last few Sundays. Getting raised, yeah, $15,000 for gospel work in Northern Africa. Jesus has done more in the six months since you guys have launched publicly than, than, than I could have asked or imagined. 
Um, but today is going to be one of the most important. I think not because I'm speaking, but what, not, not today, but what we do with the thing I share with you today may be one of the most important things, if not the most important thing, for what this church is going to look like into the future. And, and really what I'm going to talk about is the idea of how we do conflict. How we, uh, and, and so, so John 13, if you guys have Bibles, you can turn there. John 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus says this to his first disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a love for one another. So Jesus says that the way that the watching world, those who do not know Jesus, the way that they can evaluate the church to see if it's legit, the only barometer, it's not how many people they fit in a room, it's not how cool the kids' ministry is, how dope the band is, it's do you love one another? That's how we know if you're legit. And I found that a lot of people, we don't, we're, we're naturally, we're, we're, we dabble in sin, right? We, 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 I don't know, some, maybe some of you guys have sinned before. Um, since the fall, that there's this, this, the Bible calls it our flesh, our uh, sin that causes us to, 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 to not want to love others and love God as we were intended to. Um, but, but, but since the fall, we've, we've, um, we've been inverted, uh, uh, that we want to, uh, John Calvin said, um, our hearts have been in, uh, inverted. Uh, long story short, he says our hearts are like turned in on themselves. We, we, we love ourselves more than we love others. And that really comes out in Aaron's heart today, conflict. Because we don't naturally know how to love. Again, we naturally know how to sin, right? You don't have to teach a kid, right, um, to bite. If you do, weird parenting. Vampire maybe, kind of a weird vibe. You have to teach them to take stuff, right? You have to teach them to not bite, and not hit. You have to teach them to, to share their stuff, not to take stuff away from people, right? Um, and in the same way, I, th- I think we have, to, we have to learn how to love people, and it's no different in the family of God that we have to learn. And then a lot of us, our earthly families, didn't do a lot to teach us how to love. A lot of us, we watched our parents just divorce. A lot of us, we, and, and, and not, maybe not for great reasons, or, or, or they did divorce for a good reason, but the good reason is a, is, is a very bad thing, like adultery or abuse. Again, people not modeling what it means to love one another. And then we've seen conflict modeled for, for a long time. So, so much of discipleship is being reparented by, by God the Father and his family, the church. It's really what it is. We, we, we had one way of doing things. The Bible says we were orphans. We were saved into a family. And here's the thing about orphans is, is they learn how to get by, right, on the streets. They learn how to, to, to do their thing or they're in the orphanage or wherever they are trying to, to learn. And then they get, they get adopted into a new family and oftentimes, one of the biggest challenges for those families is that these people still, these kids still want to live the way that they learned, and they don't have to live that way anymore. That you, the rest of your life within the church, you can do conflict in such a way that leads, always leads to intimacy in the person you have it with. A lot of us think conflict means end of relationship, or they're going to they're gonna destroy me emotionally. I'm going to destroy them emotionally. I'm going to say a lot of things. That, you see what I'm saying? But actually that in Jesus, the abundant life of the kingdom in this family, nothing can tear us apart if we believe in Jesus and we trust him and we, and we obey him. Okay? So what I'm talking about today is super duper important. It's how we love each other. And I would just say that, man, none of that stuff's going to matter, all the cool stuff that's happened already. And I think more stuff is coming if we miss this. I've worked at churches of 40,000 people, been on staff for years. I've been in small church plant settings. I have been in room, I've been, uh, I was in Northern Africa with Tom in a room of like seven people that constituted basically the church leadership for a Muslim city of a million. So I've seen all churches of all varying degrees and sizes. And what I'm talking about today pretty much determines the health of any context, any church, any ministry. 
Does that make sense? So, 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 so again, I, 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 kind of hyping it, but it's important, man. How we handle this is so, so, so important. I just want to say too, none of us do this perfectly naturally. So I'm talking to all of you today, not one of you, not one type of person. And we're all called to um, submit to this today, including the leaders of this church, everyone, okay? So if you guys have Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 35, and we'll we'll read in a second. Again, um, it's so easy to celebrate Jesus in the good times, but man, what do you do when the newness wears off? What do you do when you move from dating to engaged or engaged to married? I think some of us would say our first three dates look very different than our marriage five years in, even if we're wildly healthy, right? Because dating is like, hey, best foot forward, right? It's basically a job interview. You're kind of, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're socially and relationally kind of, kind of fudging on your resume and you're like, you know, because you're like, I don't normally go to this restaurant. I don't come here every week. I don't normally dress like this, right? Typically, if you're good at dating, you're right, you're right. And then when you get married, right, it's, it's, it's your, your, oh, you're like that. Who knew? I remember, um, uh, so again, uh, as you grow in intimacy, you're going to rub up against each other. A lot of people run when their marriage gets hard or their relationships get hard or their church gets hard. They, they, they run the minute conflict hits. And it's like, here's the thing, you're taking you everywhere. And you're still a sinner. And so this is so, so, so important. This happened to me and my wife uh, when we got married. I remember... Um, I just discovered how selfish I was. We, went, we had a date night, and we got into a like, train wreck fight over where we were going to go to dinner. Now our fights are more like, I want, her, I want her to be happy, and so I'm like, tell me what you want, you know, what you really, really want. Uh, it's kind of a Spice Girls vibe. But you know, she's like, ah, and I just thought, like, you know, and, and, uh, but this was, uh, I wasn't even, uh, I'm kinda, I wanted a whole other thing, we'll get to that in a second. But, but over here, I, I was just like, I just wanted what I wanted, and we were going to go to an Italian restaurant, and we got married really young, and we had a very tight budget. And uh, I went to this Italian spot, and she wanted to get pizza. And I'm like, the pizza's probably going to be kind of average. And in my mind, like, pizza, growing up, the way we grew up, like, pizza was just, like, it's cheap food in my mind. Like, I hadn't been to Italy or anything crazy. Like, it was, like, Pizza Hut, uh, Domino's. Like, we're at this, like, Italian, like, why would we get pizza here? And to you guys who are into pizza, you're like, that's crazy. How could you think that? They're like, man, you, you get pasta, maybe a little wine, you know. Like, I'm thinking, like, bread and pot, whatever. And I, and I remember saying, like, I remember literally, like, almost crying, <laughs> I was like, why would you not just get a, a pasta dish? Why? Uh, and she's like, what? You know, I was like, man, I'm so self Your marriage showed me that because I had to work with someone. And I just, I'm used to doing me. I do my, I, you know, and, and now we're married and that's where we are. And this happens to all of us. As you do life with people, you're like, oh, we're working together on something. Um, also, pretty wild. Uh, I don't know if I need it anymore. But um, one of the key tactics, if not the key tactic of Satan... Which guy we believe in still. Um, this book, one of his keys is to divide the church. So it's not just your own sin. He, he's actively like tapping you on the soldier going, look at that. Uh, right now you walked in to get coffee. She didn't even look at you. She hates you on a Sunday. Oh, she, she didn't say hi. You know why? Because she hates you. Literally, it, it sounds crazy. We've never said, over time we just start to have these assumptions and beliefs about people. And uh, man, it's so destructive. And so today I want to talk about, man, how can we do this Jesus' way? So again, Matthew 18 Verses 15 through 35. And I think we all this. It says this. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults. Between you uh, and him alone, or, or your sister, uh, her alone. If he or she listens to you, you have gained your brother or sister. But if he does not listen, take one or two, three others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That just means an unbeliever. Just assume that they're not a follower of Jesus. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now here's the thing. You, if you're new to church, you've probably never heard of this. If you've been around church, you probably have like heard this passage before. You've heard it read before. You've, you've, you've not, you've, not that you've like never heard these verses, but actually practicing, practicing this can be something that you never see in churches. How do you hear about church splits over gossip and stuff? So um, a friend of mine, he, um, he did his own, uh, he calls it the American church translation of this passage. Okay. Uh, and, and this is what he writes. Uh, I want to see what this actually looks like. Uh, if your brother sins against you, you should be really surprised because sin is so rare. Immediately go and text your friends their faults and unfriend them on all social media outlets. But not before you post a status about how you can't believe how ridiculous some people are these days. Depending on your person, by the way, when they confront you about it, go, oh, I, I unfollowed you, that must have been an accident. Uh, act like they're crazy, do a little gaslighting, Yeah. Depending on your personality, here's how you should deal with things. This is Jesus talking in the American West translation. If you're more shy and passive-aggressive, leave the church as soon as you can. And then try to live in a continual state of resentment and bitterness for the rest of your life. Reminding yourself, reminding yourself of this helpful phrase, I am always right, others are always wrong, they always meant it that way. But if you are more of the aggressive and self-confident type, be sure to confront them preferably with others watching, as many people as possible. Be sure to raise your voice and use demeaning words to make them feel awful about themselves. If they feel guilty and condemned, you have won the argument and should immediately go and tell your friends about how stupid that person is. Be sure to fill them in about your victory in every uh, play-by-play analysis and give them evidence with a few of the most condemning and judgmental statements you made. Exaggeration is always okay in these scenarios. Verse 16, but if the person does not apologize... Be sure to get very angry and then go tell as many people as possible about how disgusting that person is. If he refuses to apologize after being slandered and gossiped about, be sure to ignore them whenever you see them because one of you will have to leave the church soon. So this is a good time to be checking out podcasts of other local pastors. Now I'd like to say a random and confusing statement about prayer. Remember that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. But if there's only one, sorry, I am very busy. And I'm not good in one-on-one conversation, all right? So um, it might sound ridiculous, but this is so often what I have to deal with as a pastor when I walk people through conflict early on in their walks with Jesus. It's like, no, 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 no. And and it's this ongoing space of um, we do the opposite of what he tells us. And then we're like, man, Jesus let me down. It's like, no, he told you what to do. He told you what to expect. Um, and we kind of did our own thing. Um, and, uh, uh, and again, um, this was challenging for the early disciples as well. Uh, verse 21, um, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, um, uh, early rabbinical tradition at this time, um, typically the, you'd want to forgive someone six times. Was kind of the idea. Uh, G- 
Peter thinks he's showing off and going above and beyond um, by, uh, by adding seven, like adding that, like to check me out, right? Like I'm doing a seven, I'm doing a little bit above and beyond. Have you ever had a moment like that in life where you thought you were showing off and then you realized how woefully inadequate you were? You're like, hey, just so you know, uh, you know what, you threw out something and, um, and then they were, oh, actually, like I, I'm blanking on an on a example right now. But, um, uh, you know, you, you, whatever, you told your friends, oh man, I got a Super Nintendo or something. Like I got a Super Nintendo, Sega, and a, a bike um, and, and stock options for my dad. And, you know, they just kind of, you're like, oh man, I, I was showing off with the Super Nintendo. So he's like, man, I, I got a, um, you know, seven. He's like, no, 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 uh, 70 times seven. Okay. And again, the point of that isn't to go 490th offense cutting you out. Jesus is just shattering his worldview. He's saying it's not about keeping score. That's the point. Um, it, it, we need to be people who for, forgive and love in an ongoing way. And then he tells this parable to illustrate his point. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. It's kind of the king's going through his budget, going through his bank account, going through his statements. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Um, this is like a number that's almost unquantifiable for us. It'd be like trillions of dollars. Um, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, the king, and forgave him the debt. So again, I just want you to just set, set the picture here a little, uh, set, set, the, set the stage a little bit. Um, this guy has just been, um, he's been embezzling from the king and he's just been forgiven that, un, 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 he even says, I'll pay, he can't. It's a ridiculous statement. He's like, the best we can do is throw you and your entire family into slavery and work it off until, you know, I don't know, generations literally would be born into slavery because of decisions like this in the ancient world. But even then, it's just not going to, you'll never be able to pay me off. And he goes, please, and it says that the, the king forgives his debt. Imagine the biggest mistake you'd ever made with the biggest possible consequences. And in an instant, you can be completely forgiven. Your debt's settled. Some of us in this room, we've got a lot of debt. Imagine your debt was gone tomorrow and someone else paid it. And let's just say your debt was also was tied to you stealing. I mean, just think the, the relief he should feel. The unworthiness he should feel the humility he should feel. I owed this king everything and I could offer him nothing and he covered it and I'm free. The gratitude you should feel. And then um, so this guy who, who, who'd stolen basically the, you know, a year's worth of the entire nation's budget says, um, but when the same servant, so guy had just been forgiven, but when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. It's about probably four to five months wages. So it's a decent amount of money, probably like 20 grand for us. Um, and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servant uh, okay, so I just want you to catch this. This guy had just been forgiven an insurmountable, un, un, unpayable back number. Made up that phrase. Unpayable back number. Um, there's a cat who owes him four months' salary. 
And he goes out and goes, you need to pay me. The guy goes, please have mercy on me. Very similar thing to what he said to the king. And he goes, no, in prison until you can pay this thing off. Does this seem ridiculous? Okay, it is ridiculous. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. This isn't a random story. It's connected to the teaching Jesus just taught about conflict and about going to one another. And, um, and so here's the reality is through the gospel, we are that first servant. You know what it's like to have your debts. And if you don't, we'd love to have you experience that today. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He did all of that. He lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you deserve to die. He did that to pay your spiritual debt before God for offenses towards God. And our offenses toward, not only is he perfectly, perfect in love towards us, um, we never love him the way he deserves to be loved. We never have respected him. Sometimes we feel disrespected by people. You've never respected God the way he deserves to be, he deserves to be respected for more than 24 hours. You think people hold out on you. You've never offered what you would. You see what I'm saying? You go on and on and on. Um, he knows every word of thought and deed, and it's against him. And so... Um, we've experienced the weight of Jesus wiping that clean. That's the difference between the gospel and every other religion in the world is, is God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Every other religion is I'm working my way to God or to nirvana or whatever, even if it's, it's not a theistic faith. It's I do something to attain something, and Jesus comes and attains it for us. That's amazing news. It's good, gospel literally means good news, and that is great news if it's true. We believe it is, obviously. But then... What's crazy is we'll walk around and we've had this vertical acquittal, like debt's paid, it is finished. And then someone will kind of look at us the wrong way or someone will cut us off in traffic or someone will, even uh, not even on accident, they'll actually sin against us. They'll say something unkind. And we go, they're, they're dead to me. Hashtag dead to me, right? It's a hashtag of your life, dead to me. Moving on, hashtag moving on. And we don't hold people to the standard that God held us to, right? We hold people to the standard God should have held us to. We hold people to a standard that he doesn't even hold us to anymore. And so we receive grace, but we give wrath. We give judgment. And that's so, so crazy. So Jesus is saying you can't, you can continually live in messy relationships, forgiving one another and giving one another grace as long as you grasp and experience the deep forgiveness the Father has given you. So if you haven't experienced that, I want to just put this conflict talk on pause and ask like, please talk to, to one of the elders and the leaders in this church about how to receive the radical grace of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, or if you think you are, but you have no idea what I'm talking about, that you can know that God loves you unconditionally because of Jesus. If that's new to you, I want to talk about that. If you've received this, it ha- your vertical acquittal, your ver- the vertical grace you've received has to become horizontal grace that you give out. See what I'm saying? Why is there conflict in the church? Two, what does healthy conflict look like? Three, how can we, or how can you, as Restored Temecula, um, do you conflict well? Um, let's see here. Okay. Um, so, uh, number one, why is there conflict in the church? Uh, again, some of you guys might be thinking, I thought the church was a safe place. Why is there conflict in the church? Again, here's the thing. 
the church is a bunch of sinners who've been saved by Jesus. That's what the church is. It's not a building or an event. It's, it's that. So, so asking why there's conflict in the church is like asking, why are there sick people in hospitals? Why are you guys all here? Uh, this is a place of healing. Yeah, it's a place of healing because we're sick. So sick people get the healing. Sinners, this is a place of salvation and grace because sinners need grace. You come here every week for a revelation of grace. You take communion to remember Jesus dying for you. you does that make sense? So, so again, that, that's what we need. Um, and we're being redeemed and one day we will have no sin left in us. We will see him face to face. We will look like him. But in the meantime, we are on a journey of what, of what theologians call progressive sanctification. We are slowly slowly becoming like Jesus, but we are becoming like him. Um, why is there a uh, conflict in the church? Um, the first one is because church is a family. Verse 15, he says, when your brother sins against you, your brother or sister sins against you. Again, we believe church is a family you belong to. It's the most dominant metaphor in the New Testament for the church. There's body and temple and all that stuff, but the, but the main one is hundreds of times is oikos. It's, it's household of God, family of God. So we actually believe when it says brother, he means that. So it's like when your brother sins against you, man, so we're family. So, so again, um, uh, how many guys have siblings? Okay, keep those hands up. Uh, how many, now um, put your, uh, um, keep your hands up if you never had a intense conflict with your sibling entirely. Okay, cool. Okay, I've got one that's kind of half-hearted. Okay, yeah. Um, right. How many of you guys have never fought with siblings, period, right? No, that's what siblings do, right? They're around each other. They're two centers. They're next to each other. My boys, Clive and Calvin, they're eight and six. Everything's a competition. Everything's an argument. Um, like we have to work to get them to love each other. The natural bent is um, uh, they just, their, their sin ekes out. Clive's got a big control idol, my oldest. And um, Calvin's a real free spirit. Wild, like kind of wild at heart, free, um, bohemian. It's going like, to kind of walk through life. Um, and so he, he loves to never have his shirt on. That's kind of his vibe. And uh, that'd be, that'd be his, he'd just walk out of his underwear all day if he could. Uh, wants to just take on experiences and food and, um, you know, and, uh, and Clive's very regimented and controlled. He's the first, he gets up first in our house every day and gets dressed by himself every day. Um, sets stuff out. Like that's Clive. I can tell you a million stories about how he organizes our family better than me or my wife do. But, but uh, he's like, we had that at 3.30 today. I was like, oh yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, I checked the calendar this morning, wrote it on my hand. That's a real story. Uh, so, uh, so, so the, the other day, man, Calvin has his shirt off at dinner and it's just the four, you know, it's just our family, but Clive's like, put your shirt on. I can't eat looking at you with your shirt off. Like this control is coming out and Calvin, the more, you know, he pushes them, the more Cal wants to put, he's like rebel, you know, break the rules. And uh, he's like, man, what if I got, he, and he took some food. He's like, what if I had sh- uh, food on my chest or I'm like, bro, what are you doing? It's getting weird. So it's just this battle. So they're beefing. And this is my point is, um, you only get that if they're family. They're not doing that at, at, at the, they're not getting these arguments with people at Sunday school uh, or at just like just for the, the, the one hour in the class or like kids at school, they're arguing, but it's not like this, okay? Um, um, and so here's the deal is we do life with people who are different than us and it makes us angry, right? Uh, and we, we first experience that with our siblings. And if church is a family, there's a dope, beautiful reality to church's family that's like people know me like I've never been known. And I know people like they've never been known. And that's really cool initially, just like with dating, kind of get like the spiritual butterflies. Like this is such a cool place and, it, and it's still a cool place. But then you realize like, oh crap, dude, I think Ebony's mad at me. Or I think, you know, dude, I think um, Dakota, like, I think you might be, might be gossiping about me. Or I think, I mean, I'm just, these are random examples. Uh, again, and not just I think, you know, 
Um, some of us overanalyze what everyone says because we, we want everyone's approval. You're like, man, dude, when he said good job, was it like good job? Was it like good job? <laughs> Sarcastic, you know? Um, or it's, or it's, or it's, it's just, it's, it's real, right? It's like, man, what do they mean when they said I hate you? What, what, what were they talking about? And again, guys, this sounds silly, but so many churches split because they don't do conflict the right way. They don't, they don't do this stuff. And so, so the first reason there's conflict in the churches is we're family. Again, uh, and this can be shocking initially. Um, you walk into this church and you just think, man, um, free Augie's coffee. Um, they take my kids for an hour and a half. Uh, you know, Tom, Tom, Tom yells at me for, for 30 minutes, whatever, and prays, and that makes me feel good. Uh, the band's, you know, whatever, you know, like this is cool experience. It's kind of fun. It's small. People like it. It's kind of like cheers. Everybody knows my name. And, uh, um, but, then, but then you start doing life for a while. Then they start expecting stuff of you. And you expect stuff of each other. And, and so, so again, if this is just a Sunday event, you're never going to have to do this. But if you're actively living life together, which we want, um, you're, you're going to rub up against each other's sin, intentionally and unintentionally. Uh, the other one, yeah, it's just sin. Sin is a thing. <laughs> uh, so, so we're family, and we're around each other, and we're going to experience each other's sin. Um, uh, again, we all have different desires. And when those desires don't match, kind of a proxy war begins. Uh, in James chapter 4, you guys, the Bible's going to turn there. John 4, oh, sorry, James chapter 4. Uh, we have it on the screen, though, verses 1 through 2. Um, James is going to break down, this is the brother of Jesus, why uh, we have conflicts. So it says this, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, pause for a second. We all like to think it's not us, okay? When, when, you, think, when you think through that question, why do you get into conflicts? Oftentimes, what you think to yourself is, naturally in your sin is, because other people are ridiculous, you know? Like, when I have to deal with other people, and, like, they get in the way, right? Very rarely would people share a conflict they had with someone when they're gossiping to you. Do they go, man, you know, I'm beefing with Eddie. I'm being kind of a jerk to Eddie, and I need to own it and apologize. And, but I don't want to do that, so it keeps going. You know, very rarely is that what you hear. It's, oh, man, Eddie. He's so sensitive. Yeah. I called him an idiot and he like took it, you know, and uh, whatever it is. You know, I, I told him I'd be at this thing and I flaked on him. You know, day of, I texted and he was like hurt by that. It was his birthday. It's like, oh my gosh. Whatever. <laughs> so sensitive, bro. But, 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 so what causes quarrels and fights? Uh, James poses the question and then he answers it. He says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? So we want different things. You desire and do not have, so you murder Think about that. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so what James is saying here is that every fight, every conflict we have is because we're not getting what we want. I don't know who's saying the song. Tom probably knows. You can't always get what you want. Is that the Beatles? Oh, where it always sounds. There it is. Yeah. Classic rock guy. Um, so. You know, Tom's a legit musician because he uses the word record instead of album. He's like, dude. I always think that's so dope. He's like, oh, did you hear the new uh, whatever record? And I'm like, dude, record? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, the the CD, the playlist on Spotify. Um, But we're all tempted to think it's the other person. We're all tempted to think, or what we're often tempted to think, it's our environment. You ever hear, like, I married the wrong person? You made me this way? That's a lie. Everyone marries the wrong person. It's true. You did marry the wrong person. They didn't make you this way. They're a mirror showing you how you've been the whole time. I, uh, rough, rough moment uh, for me about eight years into marriage, about a year into the church plant. Um, I uh, was uh, just, I've gained like 90 pounds since we got married uh, about 
whatever, nine years before. Um, now, and it was incremental, kind of, if you've ever gained a lot of weight, you, you just kind of incremental, and you're not really aware until you like see other pictures of it, you're like, oh man, I need to, right? Uh, and again, it wasn't like I had, there's like thyroid conditions and there's real reasons where you're overweight. I'm talking, I just was undisciplined, was not exercising. Um, my, you know, um, people would be like, oh, they do like eat wraps and stuff. My wrap was a California burrito. San Diego's like IPAs, California burritos, chilling, comfort, like perfect weather, beach, burrito, beer. Literally, there's a shirt, uh, your, your cousin has, there's a shirt that a, uh, a coffee shop down the street from us uh, put out and it says, how to San Diego. And it's a wake up, uh, like a, an alarm button. And then it has um, gourmet donuts um, or a breakfast burrito. And then it goes down to the beach and then it goes to a burrito and then it goes to a beer. Uh, and then it like, re- it repeats. Like that's like the whole, right, whatever. And I was San Diegoing hard. Long story short, I, I'm killing myself on time. Long story short, gained a lot of weight. Had this conversation with my wife. It was pretty brutal. She said, honestly, I, I don't need you to be a supermodel, but like, you're not taking care of yourself. And I just don't feel loved. Like, I actually feel like you're not considering. Like, I'm married to you. Um, and this isn't like a crazy, abusive, body shaming thing. It's the first time she's ever talked to me about it. She's like, hey, like, you're just not taking care of yourself. And I was like, dang. So the next day, I decided, or I'm, I jumped on a diet the next day. And I ended up losing like 60 pounds. It was cool. But, but, but I jumped on a diet the next day. But what I also started to do was I got to exercise. And in high school and stuff, I would run, you know, four or five miles at a time. So I just jump in. Man, I'm going to start running again. So I start running. And about a quarter mile in, I was down like my own street. I haven't even turned off my street yet. I like could not breathe. My knees were on fire. My hands, everything, everything was just broken. And what I could have said to myself in that moment is, man, I, I'm so in shape running. You made me this way, right? I, I was in shape until I started running. No, no, no. I, I had always had this broken body, right? Like when I, but I just didn't feel it when I was eating California burritos, watching Netflix, drinking an IPA, falling asleep. Like, like, like that, as I'm doing that, I'm the same person. I'm just, exercise is giving me the occasion to realize I'm out of shape, but out of shape the whole time. You've been selfish the whole time. You just are actually becoming their friend, right? Oh man, the church has changed a lot. Maybe, but, but also they know you enough now to know you're, so now you're, you're, you're having conflicts with people, not because the church is lame, but because you're, the real you is being known, which, which, which is a huge opportunity for a beautiful deepening intimacy. But a lot of people go out of here, just kind of right off. Don't it? See what I'm saying? It's a big deal. And so, so what causes quarrels in our hearts, James says, is these warring desires. Um, and we want to blame our circumstances, right? Like, like I had a bad week or, um, uh, again, it, it, yeah, you had a bad week, but it just revealed that you're sinful. Um, or if there's something that was a legitimately bad week, it gave you a sense of justification. Because I went through this, I can treat you this way. We would never say that out loud. There are weeks when we have brutal, really tough, sad weeks. Tough weeks. But then we like to use that to justify. So I can just be awful to you. Does that make sense? Uh, again, that's just not the, the, the case. Uh, we had a gal in our church and um, walking her through like a conflict thing. She's like, you know, I, no, I, I, I mean, I really love this person. I'm just, just, there's some days I'm just a B. You know, B word. I'm just, it's like, that's called sitting against, <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're being hurtful. You're being, uh, you're a jerk. You're selfish. Like, she, like, this isn't like this costume you wear. Like, oh, I'm just being a jerk today. Yeah, that's called, you're a jerk. You need to repent of your jerkishness um, to move forward. So why is there conflict? We're family of sinners. Family and sin, two things. Uh, two, um, what does healthy conflict look like? Um, 
Uh, by the way, before we jump into what healthy conflict look like, looks like, what I'm talking about today, um, Jesus is talking about how things should be in the covenant community of God. This is for the church. It's for be- people who believe in Jesus and said he's their Lord and they're doing things his way. You need people who are both committed to obeying this or it won't work. Does that make sense? So I want to be really clear. You can go up to your coworker and be like, hey, dude, you hurt my feet. And they may, you know, again, you're not going to bring them to Tom and the elders and the whole thing. Like that, that's not who this is for. Um, again, and by the way, and I think because we saw in the parable of the unmerciful servant, until you've experienced the forgiveness of a debt yourself, you can't, um, you can't give radical grace. Uh, you literally don't have the power to do that. People can brush it under the rug, you know, kind of the secular version of forgiveness, like no big deal. It's like, no, no, no. We only forgive when it is a big deal. Um, and, and so, uh, so I just want to say that this is for believers in Jesus. Uh, also, two humble people are needed. Two, the, the, the humble person who was sinned against, okay? So, okay, so here's the process. Super practical. You can write this down. Super practical. Uh, Herrick Berger actually wrote a document that we use as a church uh, that we give people to teach them how to walk through conflict, and we can make it available to you guys, or Herrick has it, um, uh, step-by-step for when you're in a conflict. Uh, but step one's this, is confront them one-on-one, okay? Verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell them the fault, just the two of you. Again, I can't tell you how many times someone's come up to me as a pastor and said, like, the following, um, hey, Andy, can we talk? Yeah, man, what's going on? Uh, oh, dude, you know Ryan? Well, I think Ryan is sleeping with his girlfriend. Uh, and I'm, I'm just seeking your wisdom for what to do about that. It's like, okay. Um, and, and then my response every time is, have you talked to Ryan about the fact that you think his relationship isn't honoring to Jesus uh, in the area of sexual purity? Uh, no, no, no. But, but I do have, uh, I've been seeking counsel from a lot of Ryan's friends uh, here in the church. In fact, we're putting together a public Facebook event called Judging Ryan. Um, we're trying to organize a good time to have everyone who's ever known him sit down with him all at the same time. It's going to be like an intervention, but meaner. And uh, we're going to have his third grade teacher come on, come on by to lay the hammer down, everyone who's ever known him. I think it's going to get a lot of views on YouTube, right? Um, that, that's not what we want to do. We go straight to them. Hey, man, I, I was hurt, or I was, uh, this made me feel this way, or I'm not sure, um, right? Uh, again, as a church, we've got to get this. You have to kill gossip immediately. Gossip only gets going, it's not, it doesn't just get going because someone's sharing it. It gets going because people listen to it. It's a two-way, two-way street, right? People tell me all the time, why do all my friends gossip to me? I'm like, do you always listen? Like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you just, you, and it's really easy to shut down. And here's the cool thing is, as a church, you can decide, uh, like I know Tom's been talking about like, the culture of honor and all that stuff. A good way to, to also build a culture of honor is when someone comes to you and they want to tell you something, you go, hey, you, just asking this question. And you can all agree together that we're going to do this. It's not awkward or weird. And even if it is, we want to obey Jesus, even if it's weird. But they come to you and go, hey, can you believe Jill? Da, da, da. And you go, have you talked to Jill about this? No. Oh, man, I, until you talk to Jill, like, I can't talk to you about this. Like, I'm like what? Right? Because, again, gossip needs a, a home. To, it needs a place to rest. They kind of walk around looking for a, I think about, like, Joseph and uh, Mary with Jesus. Like, there's, like, no place at the end. It's like, there's no place to gossip. That's what we want. Uh, hey, do you want to hear this story? Nah, man, I'm good. Oh, man. Hey, do you want to hear this story? Nah, I'm good. And eventually, it's just like, hopefully, Jesus leads them to repentance. Like, ah, I didn't really need to share this story. And so here's the thing. You just go to them. You share it. Um, and if they repent, praise Jesus, right? And again, that's the goal. Um, and by the way, that is the goal, that they would be reconciled to God and to people, not that you'd win an argument. Um, check your heart before you go to someone. Um, if you want to go just to shame them or win an argument, don't even have the conversation. Spend time with Jesus until he changes your heart to break for them. You, you, it should, you should be like a dad or a mom who wants to see what's best for their kids, not a Salem witch trial. 
good way to test that is if, if you imagine yourself having the conversation and, and if they did reject what you shared, would you be angry or sad? Would you be furious or brokenhearted? If you feel like you'd be brokenhearted, man, have that conversation sooner, not later. If you'd just be angry at them because they're not listening to you, man, I encourage you to pray more uh, before you go and do that if, if you even need to do that. Also, um, a lot of this is dealing with people sinning against you actively. I think, so I think that's really important too. Um, it's like a sin against you. It's not just a random sin. There's other passages about exhorting one another and challenging sin and stuff. But this is like with you guys. That's why it's so important. It's, it's the two of you. Uh, step two, confront with one or two others. You know, and let, so let's say you do share with them. And let's say it's legit. It's, it's, it's legit, man. Like they said some awful stuff to you. Um, you go and go, hey, man, I, I, wanna, I want this relationship to work. I want to forgive you. Uh, I also want to reconcile with you. They're like, what? Just stop being a baby and we'll be reconciled. They don't own it. They don't apologize. They, they, they blame you, which is the best. And, you know, uh, at that moment, um, Jesus says, man, go grab one or two people who, who know and love both of you, people in the community. Again, you're not, you, what you don't want to do is, like, find the people that are going to agree with you, right? Don't go, uh, who's had conflicts with them in the past? That's what I need to bring in on this, Right? No, no, you want to go, man, who, 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 who's maybe our GC leader or an elder, whoever it is, someone that, that knows you guys close, um, and just say, hey, man, I talked with Ryan about this. He denied it, da, 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 da how things went with you. Um, step three, um, or Ryan got into this with me, sorry. Uh, the sexual sin thing was actually a bad example. Um, um, you know, hey, uh, Ryan said this about me, this awful thing. Uh, he's not owning it. And then you go, and the goal is that with two or three people there who are all, li- that are listening to it. And by the way, they're not coming in with a charge. It's just, hey, he said this, we want to hear your side. And if in that meeting they do the same thing, because uh, they may just go, hey, I'm sorry, it's, it's over. You know what I mean? At that point you repent, you pray together, um, you give each other grace. Um, you agree not to bring it up with other people in the future. I mean, it's, it's, it's over. Um, that's awesome. Again, that's the goal. Their reconciliation to God. But if they don't, at that point, that's where the other people go, hey, man, do you realize, like, man, like, you're okay just hurting this person? Um, again, the hope, again, I think Jesus is here is that when they see multiple people, not just the person who it's with, who they know love them, also going, hey, dude, what, what, what's going on? That they're going to go come to their senses, you know? Uh, step three, uh, I'd say bring it to uh, verse 17. Um, says, uh, if he refuses to listen to even to you and your friends, uh, tell it to the church. If they refuse even to listen to the church, um, uh, let them be as a Gentile or tax collector. Um, so again, this is the point where it's like, they're not repentant. And again, one of the key jobs of leaders is to ensure that this is a healthy space. This is a safe space. We, we can't allow people to just hurt each other. And it's just fine, right? That, that's poor. That's abdicating leadership. If we know that there are problems, Paul in his letter to the Philippians, there's these two women who are beefing, and he, he in, 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 a, in a letter that he puts in the Bible for us to read for all time. We know that Judea and Syntyche beefed hard. It says Judea and Syntyche, you guys are both my friends. You've labored with me in the gospel. You guys helped me plant churches, literally, like we guys did here. And now you're like you're, you're beefing. And he says, I plead you to agree in the Lord with one another. Don't worry about being right. Love one another. Philippians two, the passage about humility. And he says, man, be humble like Jesus, who though he was God, he, he, he became a human, and then he died on the cross. Like, 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 be about others, don't be about yourself. The whole context of that is just, he's trying to get these women to stop beefing. It's like, would Jesus approach this way you're approaching it? Fighting for your rights? Um, da, da, da. Does that make sense? So, so as leaders, we need to step in and say, hey, um, man, we're here to love each other, to love God and love each other. John 13, that's success here. And we're not doing success. We're not doing kingdom success right now. Even if our church is growing, if we don't love each other... It's not good. And so they step in. Um, so are you willing, is this true? And if it is true, are you willing to repent? And if they go, it's true, and I'm not willing to repent, um, the, Jesus says to just no longer view them as a Christian. 
uh, to literally to, 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 to say, hey, you're not welcome in this community until you're willing to own this stuff. Okay. Uh, by the way, really, really important. Um, this has been abused in the church. Um, we have done it once in s- almost seven years at Uptown. Uh, most of the people who don't want to own their sin typically just bounce on their own. They're like, oh, I'm not going to make this change or do my own thing. Um, or um, most of the time when we confront people, if you've created a culture of grace and safety, they're like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to, this is hard for me to do. I've never done this before. I don't want to do conflict the right way. I don't want to love this, you know, but like I've been loved by Jesus and I'm going to, I'm going to take this step. And, uh, and grow because the Spirit's at work in their life. Does that make sense? So, so again, we don't um, do church discipline for sin. We do it for a lack of repentance. We don't discipline for sin. It's unrepentant sin. We're, if, if, if we can't be in the church for a sinner, we, you all have to leave now. I'll stay up here. We know I'm fine. Just kidding, obviously. Like, right, like I, it, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like defending your sin and sinning against others and not taking responsibility for your actions. There comes a point where you go, hey man, this isn't for you. And, might, and by the way, this isn't even super like, this isn't even a punishment. The goal is that they would come back again. First Corinthians, Paul says to send someone outside, to set someone outside the church who's not repenting. And then second Corinthians, he's, he's, he has to charge them, let them back in, they've apologized. So the same leader has to deal with two different sides of the same issue. Um, uh, and again, that might sound really exclusive or mean or judgy or whatever, um, but, but really it isn't. It's like, man, we want to be disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are learning today all that Jesus commanded. You're saying actively, I don't want to obey him. I know this is wrong. I'm even agreeing it's wrong, but I don't, I don't want to do anything about it. So this is like, like my son, uh, my son plays basketball. And, uh, and this would be like, um, you know, to be on a sports team, uh, if like there was a kid who showed up and said, Hey guys, uh, I know we're the heat and we wear red jerseys, but I want to wear a blue Jersey and I want to, um, I want to use my feet. Um, and, uh, and I want to, and I want to right? well, dude, you're, you're not playing basketball then. Like we, we're a basketball team. That's what we do. Hey, we're disciples of Jesus, man. That's what we do. There's, there's a sport called soccer where you can use your feet and wear a different couple of jerseys, but that's not what this is. So if you want to um, do your own thing and not follow Jesus, there's a whole world out there where you can do that. It breaks our heart that you would choose, choose that. Um, but man, yeah, we're, we're not going to change the rules for you. We're not going to let you continue to hurt people. See what I'm saying? Um, that's, and that's a tough thing, man. And by the way, if the pastors are ever like excited about that, let me know. Uh, that, that should not be the, like, yeah, we're going to kick them out. That's just not how it works. It's never been that way. And in the meetings that we've been close to having to do that with people, in my, we're always in tears. It's, it's never like... It's like, man, do you see like you're hurting people? This isn't the life God has for you. Um, on and on it goes, okay? So, so, so again, uh, for this thing to work, uh, for a healthy conflict to work, um, there has to be two people. There has to be the person who was sinned against, but then there's also the humble person who's been sinned against who will go to the person. Um, but the other person that's required is the humble person who has sinned. Uh, so this is basically like after you've been confronted, how do you respond? Um, over the last few months, uh, I've been confronted by multiple people, uh, including my wife. Uh, I had a, there's a, um, a gal on our staff team, and she confronted me and just said, hey, I hope you're taking care of yourself spiritually. I just want to make, I want to know like, how, how you're doing. Um, uh, another gal who leads a ministry team, she said, um, I, I feel hurt by a change we made. I felt like I was out of the loop. I felt like you didn't communicate with me. I had a baby, and then you, like, didn't, you didn't consider me. And it wasn't entirely true, and part of it had to do with a lot of things that were happening. Um, but either way, she came to me, and I was able to, to talk to her. And again, it wasn't entirely true, but I still was able to go, I'm so bummed that, that we made you feel that way. It was unintentional, but I'm still so sorry. Um, that wasn't our heart, but I totally can get how you'd feel out of the loop. We were trying to give you space because you just had a baby, and you felt like we were like, excluding you. You see that? Um, uh, and so, so, so like in the last year, have you been lovingly confronted? How often are you lovingly confronted? 
And if you haven't been, there's only two options. Um, I guess three. Either you're sinless, which again, that's nobody. Or you don't have friends who actually know you enough to know what you need confronting on and love you enough to do it. Or three, they've tried in the past and you, you don't receive. They're walking on eggshells. Huge practice I want to ask you guys to start practicing. Uh, a huge favor is just to start asking people, is there anything in my life you see? That, have, have I offended you? Have I, have I, if you notice that a relationship seems a little different, instead of just going, oh, they're like so moody and whatever, maybe you offend me to actually reach out and say, hey, have, have I offended you in some way? And listen. Now, here's the thing. When they confront us, whether they're right or wrong, um, naturally as people, we tend to want to do one of two things. And they're both, they're both sinful, okay? Um, uh, and secular psychologist, we will talk about this. We have a tendency to either attack or withdraw. Attack uh, or withdraw. And, uh, and um, I want to read real quick. Um, I want to do a little diagnostic with you guys. And um, I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I more of an attacker or a withdrawer, okay? So as I re- I'm going to read a couple of statements. And I want you to go, is this, does this sound like me, okay? So this first one is for attacker. Uh, attackers, uh, they, they're on the offensive in conflicts. They place a high value on justice uh, for themselves, by the way. They don't place a high value on justice for the other person. So it matters greatly to them who is right and who is wrong. If you've ever argued with your spouse and you feel like you're dealing with an attorney and they're not an attorney, this is, uh, this is it. Um, so here are signs you might be an attacker. You deal with anger or frustration by venting it. You argue, you argue your case passionately. You often ask questions like, how do you know? Can you prove that? There should be some laughter if you're seeing yourself in these. You want to fight until the fight is over. You cross-examine to get to the heart of the conflict, quote-unquote. Winning the argument is more important than loving the opponent. And you turn the argument to focus on the other person, even if it began with you as the focal point. Okay? So uh, attackers, we all have them in our lives, some of us are them. On the other end of the spectrum are what I call withdrawers. These people have the tendency to find themselves on the defensive. They tend to avoid or ignore conflict, and when pressed into an argument, they respond in sullen silence or apathetic passivity. If you are a withdrawer, here are some patterns you might recognize. You deal with anger or frustration by suppressing it. Right? Just sweep it under the rug until you start tripping over the rug because there's so much dust and dirt. You have opinions, but you keep them to yourself in order to keep the peace. You ask different questions. You don't ask, can you prove that? You ask questions like, do we have to talk about this right now? Does it matter? You'd rather avoid a fight than win one. You sometimes physically leave an argument in order to get some space. Um, right, you're like, kind of like, I'm out of here. You start looking on uh, you know, kayak for the cheapest one-way tickets out of the city. Um, you just, bam, I'm getting out of here. And you're hoping they won't bring it up again. And I know when me and Jackie got married, that's one of the things that I realized is I grew up in a family with like a lot of attacking. And, uh, and I also like I had to like, I was always like in big conflicts. And Jackie, um, family is really, really dysfunctional too. We, we both actually have that. Um, but her, she was the youngest of three kids. So she'd watch her parents just go at it with her brothers and she's hear her mom get really gnarly, really abusive. Stuff was wild. And what, um, so, so what Jackie learned to do was, if I keep my head down, it'll go good for me. If I just keep my head down. Now, that's a good, that, that, that's an even necessary survival strategy in that type of a setting. But in the church, that does not 
the kind of family we are. That actually won't serve you well at all. You'll often leave relationships too soon before they can become beautiful and intimate and loving. And I get why maybe you started that. But I want to call us away from that stuff. In my family, I, had, I was the older, I was the one arguing the points. And I felt like I had to be an advocate for myself. In the family of God, Jesus is your advocate. You don't need another advocate. You don't need to hide. Again, so many, of us, so many of us have walls up that keep us from intimacy with one another because we think we need to defend ourselves. So again, good way to, good survival kind of coping mechanism when you're a kid, terrible way to build intimacy with adults. Just doesn't, doesn't work. And in this family, there's no need to keep our head down and no need to defend your reputations because we got into this family through the cross. Your reputation is just, you're so bad, Jesus had to die for you. But you also don't need to advocate for yourself because you're so loved. He was, he was glad to die for you. So um, does that make sense? Charles Spurgeon said this. By the way, we need humility, by the way. Right? Um, we, we need humility. Okay, I want you to repeat after me. I am a sinner. I have crap. I hurt people with my crap. I'm just not always aware of it. So I really need people to lovingly call me on my crap. Sorry for using the term crap. I didn't, I, that was freestyle right there. But, but here's what I want you to see. You need this. This is a gift when it's real. If your identity is in Jesus, you don't need to defend yourself. When someone says, hey, you hurt me or you sinned or whatever, cross outed you as a sinner. This didn't. Okay? You, you can go, oh, even if they're wrong, you can go, oh, man, that's not what I meant. And because I love you, I want to clarify. Not defend myself, but clarify what I meant because I'm not okay with you thinking I was okay not loving you. Here's what I actually meant. Or, you know what? I was wrong. I'm a sinner. I don't need an apology. You know, I was just wrong. Um, and so th- th- this, th- this process is just one step. Repent and own your sin. Repent and own your sin or lovingly clarify, not defend. So my last point is this. So that's uh, how do we do, how, what does healthy conflict look like? It's bringing it to one another and receiving it because of Jesus. Um, number three is how can we do, uh, how can we as a church do conflict well? Um, again, we need two humble people. Um, uh, but how do, how do we do this well? What, we feel so, what if you feel super weak in this area? You feel like you can't do conflict well. You, you just are always failing. You're always falling apart uh, in conflicts. And you think about, you know, um, a, a, maybe, this is, maybe this is the biggest source of pain in your life. Conflicts with your parents. Conflicts with your spouse. Conflicts with your ex-spouse. Conflicts with your kids. Your boss. Again, it's so important, and we saw this in the parable, it is impossible to do this apart from receiving the grace of Jesus. Like, I don't deserve anything, and he loves the mess out of me, and I don't deserve it. Then you can love the mess out of people who don't deserve it. Because people around you don't deserve your love. But you didn't deserve his. And when you understand that he loved you and you didn't deserve it, you can love people who don't deserve it. See, see, we're all naturally attackers or withdrawers, but in the gospel, Jesus doesn't withdraw. He doesn't go, no big deal, nothing to see here, no sin, sweep it under the rug. He goes to the cross. It's a big statement. He's like, your sin's kind of a big deal. He doesn't cover it up. But he also doesn't attack us. He moves towards us in our sin in love. He doesn't attack or withdraw. See what I'm saying? And that's what we've experienced. We can be the same with each other. Hey, man, I I love you. Sin's destructive. I love you. I just want to move towards you to, 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 to ask. And we don't need to be offended, right? We should never be saying things like, how dare you think I could ever do that? We're all sinners. We should be above anything. Um... 
Charles Spurgeon said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with them, for you are far worse than what they think. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, they might be wrong about what you meant when you said a certain comment that hurt their feelings, but if they knew all the stuff you thought about them, game over. Don't be defensive. I'll, I'll say this uh, last, is Jesus in his grace and in the gospel can create humility and boldness at the same time. I'm humble, I'm not thinking I'm right all the time, and I'm bold, I can come to you, because what you think of me doesn't define me. The parable Jesus tells reveals something about all of us. And so here's the deal. If someone confronts you, Jesus said, you are the guy in the parable whose debt was so big you could never pay it back. So when someone comes up to you, to, so when someone comes up to you and says, um, I see this $10 debt, spiritually speaking, you shouldn't be like, no way. No, not a chance. Not a chance. Uh, that, that, right? It should, be, it should be no way. Only $10? That's all you see? Like, I was, in, I was in billions of dollars. It's so great that this is all I have here. I've owed so much more than this before. And so um, uh, I'll, I'll, pa- I'll pass off to Tom. Um, as I pass off, though, I would just say this one thing. Um, are you an attacker or withdrawer? Are you a messy combination of the both? But I, but I want to um, just ask that you would allow Jesus to make you someone who doesn't have to attack or withdraw, but you can move towards one another in love and move towards forgiveness and reconciliation. Guys, will you honor him really quick? Thank you. <clears throat> All right, uh, band, you guys can come up. Uh, we're going to go for maybe another five to seven minutes, okay? Um, if, will you stand if you're able? I think it's really easy to hear information. It's a whole other thing to actually grab a hold of it um, and to apply it to your life. So what we're going to do is we're going to take just a moment. We're going to, we'll, we'll sing, maybe let's do like, I don't know, five minutes, guys. Is that okay? Um, but what I want to do more than anything is I don't want us to, to miss the opportunity that's right in front of us, okay? And the opportunity that's right in front of us is freedom. There's nothing like conflict that can keep you bound in bitterness and unforgiveness And we we find ourselves in those places of bitterness and unforgiveness. It just, we have a completely unrealistic, unhelpful, and damaging view of ourselves. Our heads can get too big. We can look down on other people. And it's just not a good place for anybody to be, especially somebody who wants to follow Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask you to just take a moment. Um, I'm going to have you do this. Close your eyes. Not to be overly spiritual, but to really help you focus. If you're tired, go ahead and stretch. Seriously, like this is a safe place. This is like my living room, okay? I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about, actually, no, I want you to ask God, is there somebody that you need to have a conversation with? Maybe they really hurt your feelings. Stay with me, okay? Maybe they really hurt your feelings. Or maybe you really hurt theirs. Maybe you're really concerned about somebody. Maybe you're sensing that they're drifting. 
or maybe you're seeing them make unwise or poor choices. And here's what I want to challenge you to do, my friend. I want to challenge you to choose love. Love is more than a feeling. We've talked about this. It's more than a feeling. It's action. It's doing what's in the best interest of somebody else. Not because they're inconvenient to you, but because you used to set your love upon them. So whether it's an area where you need forgiveness, whether it's an area where you need to forgive, whether it's an area where you have genuine concern for a brother or sister, maybe they're not even a Christian, maybe they don't follow Jesus, but where you have genuine concern, what I want to ask you, stay with me, okay, listen to me, I want to ask you to grab a hold of that. I want to ask you to grab a hold of that opportunity to genuinely love somebody. And hear me say this, maybe that somebody actually is you. And maybe there's going to be people who approach you with something because they love you or at least they're trying to. So what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you to choose love in your pursuit of people. And I want to to encourage you to choose grace when you're the one that's being pursued.